0: I'll be reading the Bible from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. When I finish reading, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob... Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Ezron. Ezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nathan, Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Heaz, Heaz the father of Ezekiah, Ezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltel. Sheltel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zedok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay, let's say a word of prayer. Son of David, have mercy on us this morning. As we look into the word that speak of you, speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name. Um <clears throat> good morning everybody. Good morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for surprising us with your not traveling now, with your <laughs> With your guest presence, thank you very much. We're glad to have everybody here. Um, so it's the Advent and Christmas season. Um, you know, this is the time where we mark the time. This is the time when we mark Jesus coming into the world. This is the time when God came, um, Emmanuel, God with us. You know, this is the season God came in a manger. There was no space for Him in the inn, um, and that is why we started this series, God with us, you know, in the Book of Matthew, trying to see what does. What implications does the coming of God have for us? What does he have for um, us? Well, we have we kind of emphasize a few things. We wanted to emphasize justice and mercy. So in the first sermon in this series, Manuel um, told us how God came for the voiceless. So he asked us, are you Jesus or Herod? Um, do you live your life in such a way that you hear the voices of children who are aborted? Or do you silence them? So he talked about abortion. In the second sermon, you hear me? spoke about, um, Francis spoke about the outsiders. So he asked us if we wanted to be like Joseph, who was imitating Jesus, or were like the Pharisees. Do we judge people, are we judgmental towards people who sin differently from us? And last week, Yemi showed us how God came for the refugee. Um, he told us that Jesus is the ultimate refugee. Um, that we ought to live our lives as aliens here. We ought to live our lives as citizens here. You know, Jesus came. He left all his treasures in heaven. And he came here not to escape death like refugees the Refugees try to pack all their treasures to leave the land where they've been afflicted with um, trouble or suffering. And they do that in order to escape, death, to escape all of this. But Jesus left heaven to embrace death here for the sake of refugees and us all. So today we'll continue, and today we're I'm looking at God with women, God with women. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to ask us a quick question. How many of us has ever finished watching a movie before? It sounds very foolish, right? <laughs> but really, how many of us have ever finished watching a movie before? Yeah. Yeah. OK. To the very end. <laughs> like to the credits, or like, you know what's <laughs> up. <laughs> like to the credits, to the very Like you stayed back after the final scene, and then you look through cinematographer, um, directed by, written by. How many of us have? So let me see the hands now. Ah, there's some good people. Ah, nice, nice. <coughs> they don't read really. it. You, know, you know what happened to those people? If you remember when Black Panther came out, I already remembered. So those people that don't wait for the credits, they just left it all immediately, only for your friend to call you and tell you after that. There were like three scenes after the end of the movie. I remember T.J. had to go back to the cinema to watch a movie in order to see those <laughs> other scenes. But you see, this may sound funny, but this is often when we skip credits, when we skip the rolling credits, when we don't finish movie, when we skip credits. It is the same thing we do when we come to the Book of Matthew or when we come to any place in the Bible and we skip the genealogies. We skip genealogies. What what good is there? Like just telling me this guy is son of who, is the son of that, is the father of this, is son of that. Man, let's get to the real stuff. So when we, pray, when we preach from Matthew 1, they start from Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus. That is a real story. I'm sure some of us even skipped the beginning of the movie where they are showing those people's credit. Come, let's get to action. They're not, they're not shooting. What's up? <laughs> so these are how some of us skip genealogies. And we want to look at genealogies today. <clears throat> but you also observe, I also skipped something. I've skipped something, too. Um, all the preachers in this series... Did not start the way I've started. They talked about their Christmas carols, right? So you say, I've skipped the Christmas carol parts. And this is because while growing up, my church tradition, we skipped the Christmas tradition. We, we did not, my church, where I grew up, did not believe in Christmas. So I never celebrated Christmas going on, but I never knew the joy of having a Christmas tree in your parlor, of having ornaments hung in the living room, you know. <laughs> Wait, 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 no, I've never gotten there. Do you know, I'm not that, it what, worse, so. though. Um, do you know how many Christmas carol services I've ever attended in my life? Three, three, <laughs> and you know all of them. All the Christmas carol services i attended were in City Church, 2016, 2017, and 2018. So I skipped that part, <clears throat> but this is where I'm getting at today. Um... You may not skip Christmas. You may not skip Christmas carols. But if you skip genealogies, this one is for you. Um, so I did both before this one. Skip Christmas, skip Christmas carol, and skip genealogies. So this one is for both of us. <laughs> OK, so <clears throat> first, we'll look at it like some kind of, it's not really four points. It's just kind of four different parts or something. So, the first thing we're going to look at is genealogies. And I want to say four things about genealogies. You see, the first thing about genealogies is that genealogies show, in, like genealogy in biblical times, and in this time where it said, in this Matthew 1, in that time, that era, genealogies show the integrity of a person. You know, genealogy is a list of names of persons of people. You know, when people, your genealogy, you wanted your genealogy to be full of people that you are proud of. You wanted your your genealogy your genealogies showed who you are, like your standing in society, your status. Like when people see your genealogy, they say, wow. So you want to fill it with people that, that you are proud of, people that you can boast of, people that bring you honor. You know, Emmanuel told us about Herod. Herod, is, Herod did several bad things, very several terrible things, like Imane showed us, you know, killing many children under the age of two. But Herod was also known to have expunged names that he didn't like, people that he was not proud of, people that he would not bring him honor. He expunged their names from his genealogy. So Herod was half Edomite. So it, it so happened that in those times, to be an Edomite was a terrible thing. He didn't want to be an Edomite. So Herod looked for every person, every name, every kind of stuff on his genealogy that would not make and he expunged them all. So genealogy mattered that much. That's the first thing about genealogy. The second thing about genealogy is that genealogies prove credibility of a person. And What do I mean? The same value or the same significance that CV is owed in our time is sort of the significance that genealogies held in those days. You know, um, and because in those times there were no Ivy League colleges or there was, there was no University of Ibadan. So, <laughs> um, I don't know, they were just like in lag and all those. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> there were no that. so there was, there was, there was nothing of such. Um, what people had, what made you, what proved you credible was your family. Like, who was your father? Who was your mother? What did your great, father, great grandfather did? What did your grandfather do? That was what proves you. Like it was. Oh, so you're the son of Wow. Man, come in, come in, come in, come in. Come sit down. What do you want? You want to get some um, some weapons? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. I'll give you half the price. Ah, your father, your great grandfather was a very nice man to my great grandfather. You know that's the sort of thing that it was. You know today in our TVs too, um, <clears throat> you want to put stuff that like brings you out, that makes you look good, that makes you look like honourable. So, you find some people who did not go to MIT or Harvard, though. They just went for one two week course. <laughs> two weeks. We just put it there. You know, I have degrees from MIT, Harvard, University College of London. Everything I just short short term certificates free on Coursera and edX. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it, I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> that is the second one. The third one, geologists were written for specific reasons. So you see, there's a genealogy in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3. At the end of, like, towards another genealogy, we see the importance of that genealogy. It says that, and Adam gave birth to his son, Seth, who was in his own image and his own likeness. You know, the writer of that genealogy was trying to show us that um, God created Adam in his own image, and now Adam giving birth to his son in his own image, God was continuing his likeness, you know, in the in the race of Adam, that was the purpose of that genealogy. If I can, another genealogy in Zephaniah one, in Zephaniah, one, say I'm the son of Cushi, the son of Susan, so then the son of Ezekiah. Um, I, I was a prophet in the time of, of um, King Josiah, the son of who? He was trying to show us that because Zephaniah was a prophet that was particular about religious reforms. So by quoting names like Ezekiah, a king who was also particular about reform in his own time, he was saying, see, this is my credibility. This is why, like. I'm giving this genealogy. This is who I am. This is why I'm in the right position to talk about reforms. My father was this guy. remembering remember? Great guy. One of my fathers. And so this genealogy we have here in Matthew 1 also has a specific reason. You see in verse 1, what did he say? He said, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That is the importance of this genealogy. That is what Matthew was getting at. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What is Matthew trying to show us? He says, see, this son, this Jesus I'm trying to talk to you about is the son of David. What does he mean by saying the son of David? I'm going to show you. He's trying to say that because the Israelites have long expected the Messiah, they've been waiting for the Savior for a long time. So Matthew was trying to tell them, this Jesus is that Messiah, that Savior that you guys have been expecting. This is him. The son of David, he has promised. God made a covenant with David. God gave David a promise, and this guy is the fulfillment of that promise. See what, I want to remind you of the promise. See what God told um, David. God told him, I have been with you, 2 Samuel 7, verse 9. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. Let's go on to verse um, Verse 12. You see, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up, up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. King Solomon died, the son of David. The king after Solomon died. All of these guys died. Their throne wasn't going to last forever. Matthew was saying, this is the guy whose throne will last forever. Matthew also said that this is the son of Abraham. And remember God's promised to Abraham. He said, out of you, is it, I will bless those who bless you. I will cause those who curse you. Is it through you, I will make all the families of the earth blessed. Through you, all the families of the earth. Abraham was, was the father of the Jews, of the Israelites. How was God going to bless all the families of the earth? Matthew is saying that Jesus is the answer to that promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. So we see this. But this is the last thing about the genealogy, the fourth thing about the genealogy, I don't want us to forget. And what is it? Most genealogies in that time, in those in that in those in those days, excluded women. Genealogies hardly ever included women, because it was a patriarchal society, and especially a genealogy like Jesus's, where you have someone like King David, and all these great kings, a royal dynasty. There was like women for where? It was a patriarchal society. So, but why the Matthew, why did Jesus add women to his genealogy? Why? Why would he add women to his genealogy? So, let's move on to the second thing. So, I want to talk about the women. I'm going to say three things about the women before we go on to why Jesus was related. Three things about the women. So, I want us to notice something. All the way, four women I mentioned here. In verse 3, you will see the first woman. Tamar, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. You see the second woman in verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You see the, second, the, the third one. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And then you see another one in verse 6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. These four women. Four women included it. Why? You see, women, like I was saying, in a patriarchal society, you see, the women who lived in these times were of no importance. Women who lived in these times had no power. Women who lived in these times had no status. They could not appear in court. Women could not hold property. You could not. The biggest thing for women at this time was having a husband and having children. Yet they still lived under oppression. Yet they were not still valued for much. You see, there's other thing about these women. You see, Tamar, for instance, Tamar was married, well, had bought children for Judah, as mentioned here. But and at that time, Tamar was, was, between when, when this happened, Tamar was between 15 and 19 years old. Tamar was a teenager. But Tamar was also a widow twice. The first man he married died because he was wicked. The second man, the brother of that guy, died because he was wicked. A widow twice. She was widowed twice between the ages of 15 and 19. We're going to come back to see the ter- terrible things that happened to Tamar. The other thing about, another widow that was there is, Ruth. Ruth was the, Moabites, who married um, the son of Naomi when they came to Moab. But then the son died, and they now had to move back to Bethlehem, she was also a widow. So these women were not in a good position at all. These women were not, were not really, they were not, they were not big names. They were not big people in the society. So I want us to really think, try to picture. You don't even need to picture. Just observe our times today. Observe the state in which our society is today. Have you heard women or have, can you notice women say that, <clears throat> you see, every deal, every deal I had to make, every deal I had to secure is equal to the time I spent away from my kids. You know, nobody considers raising kids as work experience. So when you come back from your maternity leave, it doesn't weigh so much on your CV your resume, it doesn't help you get a, a new job. A good job, or had to experience. You know, I can hear women say that, you know, I was so away, you know, work, I was so away, Um, I was not even around the first time my, my child spoke. Women have to work twice as hard as men in order to be recognized half as much. I can split my promotion time, you know, the promotion. What it took me to get promotion, I can split it into different hours, hours that could have been dates. A woman is talking. You're driving on the road and, and then you smash somewhere. Someone eats you from the back or someone is blah blah. blah. I notice now, not I Look at this. I talk to him. I talk to him. <laughs> Women, they are worse drivers.
0: <laughs>
1: Women. Marginalized gender. That's the first to be said about women. Marginalized gender. Women, according to one of our leaders, one of our religious leaders, the, one of the most important factor for you marrying a woman is her ability to be able to cook. Another political leader says that the most important thing, the most important place for a woman is the other room. Two kinds of room. One is the kitchen. One is the bedroom. So women, were the marginalized gender? That's the first thing we say about women. The second thing I want us to notice about women in our times and from this, from this genealogy, we're seeing the importance of genealogy. The second thing we know is that women are, morally, mo- women are morally marginalized. And what do I mean? You see, in Jewish time, someone wrote this. He said, women fall prey. This is what the scholar said. He said, women fall prey to sexual sins more than men. He said, it is safer to walk behind a lion than a woman. And it's not so, Tamar, the first woman was in the genealogy. Tamar was married to her, and God killed him because he was so wicked. And because, in, 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 according to Jewish law, your brother is supposed to, um, your, the brother of the deceased was to marry the woman so that he can leave an heir for him, so that his name would not cease you know, from, from the line. And the guy married Tamar, but he would, while having sexual intercourse with Tamar, he would not. He would, he would draw, pull out and pour his semen on the ground so that... It would not bear the responsibility because was, God killed him, too, was wicked. Judah had a third child. His name was, his, his name was Shelah. So, but Shelah was, he was so young, um, it, could, it wasn't time for him to, wasn't old enough to marry Tamar. So, the plan was that Tamar would wait for a while, and then Shelah would go old enough to be given to Tamar. And what did Judah say? Judah told Tamar, he said, Go and live in your father's household. Go and live as a widow in your father's household. You know, this was already wrong from the start. Because in the law, according to the Jewish customs, the, that he, Judah was supposed to defend the widow, provide for her, keep her care, her, but he sent her away to go and live in her father's house as a widow. That was the first thing he did. But then, after Tamar had waited for a long time, Sheila had gone up. She knew Sheila had become a big boy, doing well, and she had not been called to, give, to be given to, um, to Sheila. She knew she had to take Martha into her hand. What did, did Tema do? She heard that Judah was visiting where she was staying, she went around, she, drew, she, she dressed up as a prostitute, and then stood at the side of the road. And Judah came and asked her and looked at her, ah, look at this prostitute. Wow, this my set. This woman is nice. So <clears throat> um, can I sleep with you? Because she wore a vein, he didn't know what stema. He said, eh, yes, you can. But he said, well, What are you gonna give me for it? He said, I'm gonna give you um, um, a sheep one from one of my flock. He said, eh. But you don't have it here. You say, Oh, so what am I going to get as proof that you're going to give me? You say, I'll give you your signet and my seal. Signet and seal is, um, is synonymous with like giving someone your wallet so that when I get back, and can send the flock to you. So, okay, I give me. And they do their stuff, and the man left. So, years after, um, sometime later, Judah heard that Tamar was pregnant. And what did Judah do? Judah said only two words in Hebrew, only two words. He said, take, bone. Take her out and burn her. They lives in a culture where a man can have sex anytime he wanted, but a woman cannot. Why would he have had sex with a prostitute? And, and Tema couldn't have had sex anytime she wanted. For a man to catch, look at another thing they said. For a man to catch sight of a beautiful woman. Is to find himself in grave danger. David, that's the first woman we saw. Uriah's wife. David was standing at the balcony in the time when kings went for war. And then he stood at his balcony, he's supposed to be at war, stood at his balcony, looked out, and saw a beautiful man bathing in the water. And he said, Man, this woman is beautiful. Who is she? She's the she's the wife of um, she's the wife of Uriah, the Ettite. He said, Bring her in for me. And he brought her in. Know what they didn't, the second Samuel the 11 did not show us they have any conversation, nothing at all. He said, and he made love to her, and then she went back away. And then Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, sent a message to him that I'm pregnant. And he said, oh, what am I going to do? He <clears throat> sent a message to mother, the husband. of. He brought the guy back, tried to convince the guy to go home to sleep with his wife. The guy did not, the guy was too faithful. He said, make him drunk. The guy did not see Go home. And so he sent the guy by himself with a letter to the war front, and to the, he, he asked his commander to put him in a place where the battle was hottest, so that the guy could die. And The guy died, and then eventually brought Uriah um, as wife to his house as his own wife. This was kind of time. This, was, this is this is kind of women. This is what the women went through. And that is not a far cry from what we see today. It's not a far cry. Even today, we have when when religious leaders, when pastors sleep with women in their church, married or unmarried, who is being protected? the religious leader. Yeah. The woman he said to you, you want to damage the man's ministry. You want to bring him down. You want to put them down. David was the king. He could have any woman he wanted. He could kill their husbands if he wanted. Nobody was going to live, raise a voice. Nobody did anything to him. When terrorists bomb a place, what are they, what are they, what are they promised? Suicide terrorists. They are promised 70 virgins in the afterlife. Women, just objects, just 70 virgins, just take. When you hear, it, when most people hear the case of um, sexual um, activity between a lecturer and a student in school, they say all those girls that sleep with lecturers. What about the lecturers that sleep with the girls? What about the, the system that has allowed lecturers to misuse their power? When you hear about oh, girls sleep with directors for roles, girls sleep. All these actresses they don't be sleep with directors for. What about the directors that sleep with the girls? to give them rules. My girlfriend and I went to, um, um. <laughs> we were talking about something very serious. Hey <laughs> no, you guys are not spiritual. We went for a market match. Um, I don't know if you saw it online on Twitter. Um, so the market match was in in response to men, markets men who assaulted, who assaulted girls, women, you know, markets. And it was a yabba markets. Um, and yeah, it, it started well, it was on, but after a while, you know, it became, it became like uh erupted or something. And all sorts was I said, you know, the guys started saying all kinds of stuff. All, all, all kinds of stuff. You know, some guy walked up to me and saying, ah, you be gay, you be gay, you know, get work. Bro. You they follow women, come out, go do match. You know, get walk. You know, get walk. You know, some of them were shouting and screaming, touch, touch now, nah, F, uh, F, you know, FFCK. Touch, touch now. Nah. If you touch person, you don't you don't do anything with them. Touch. Nobody just touch. If you wear this thing, we go do everything, we go, we go open everything. You find older women, an older woman called me and to say, Youself, Youssef, tell all these girls, tell them if they need to wear this minisket all this, nobody go do them anything, no go touch them. The baby mamas are more slammed than the celebrities that put them in that way. And you know, over and over, you keep seeing in Joshua in Joshua 2, about the, third, about the second woman, Rahab. She, she was being called Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. That became my identity. Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. This is a person. Rahab the prostitute. Judah the what? Judah, <laughs> the son of Jacob. The third thing about women, racially marginalized. And I'm going to twist this a bit. I'm going to bend this a bit. Because in this, the, the <clears throat> The third woman, Ruth, was a Moabite. The second woman, Rahab, a Canaanite. The, um, the first woman, Tamar, a Canaanite also. Uriah's wife, you see what the writer did, you see what Matthew did, Uriah's wife. He didn't call her but he called her Uriah's wife. Why? Because Uriah was the Dehittite. Was trying to show that by she married, she was leaning more into the other, um, the other culture. <clears throat> You see, and this, all these people were not Israelites. In that point in time, or in, in that culture, they were not allowed into the holy place. They were not allowed into the tabernacle. They were not allowed into the presence of God at all. They were marginalized because of their race and because of their culture. You see, what I want to make, I want to make an indirect connection to this. We can speak of the oppression of women we find in our own city and around us in this place that we live. You see, but there are women, there are girls, there are females who go through far, far more grave oppression than we do in Lagos, in distant parts of this country and in this on this continent. We are familiar with girl child, teenagers, or 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds who are given to be brides. We heard of we had then when um, a governor, a former governor, a governor tried to marry a 13-year-old girl. We know of genital mutilation, where the foreskin of a girl's private part is being skinned off because of a tradition, because of some practice, putting such females into misery for a, for a, for a great part of their lives. In the north, it happens. In some part of this country, in some part of this continent, we know of women. Who are, still, who, who, who are still accused for their barrenness? Like they're the reason. Nothing is said about the man. Nothing is done about the man. If a woman fails to give birth to a child for so long, she is the reason. There's nothing to do with the man. She is a tribe, is a, is a is a womb. She is cursed, she's persecuted, she's trying to bring down the name of this family. Or the pain some women go through when they lose their husbands. The rights of a widow they have to pass through because they are females. We know of the Chibo girls that are here to return. We know of the dapchi girls that are here to return. <coughs> That's the thoughts about women. So I want us to go to the third part. <clears throat> why? Why would God include women, you know? Seeing all this, seeing what was prevalent in his culture, see what was prevalent in our times. Why would God give such honor? Why would, he, why would Jesus say, why would Jesus point out to us that he's honored? these women to be in is Why is he trying to show this? What, what does this really mean? And I want to explain that to us. I want us to see four things, four things about God here. Yeah. The first thing I want to say is Jesus understands because he's human and because he's different. You see, in the Jewish times, it is said, and another scholar said this, if you educate the girl child in matters of the law, you throw away luxury. We still know many people who still think so sort of girls, who still think so sort of females. T- today, but see what Jesus did. Because Jesus is different. Jesus, when he went to visit Mary and Martha in the house, and I can't remember if it was Martha or Mary. I think it was Martha that was in the kitchen preparing stuff for him, while Mary sat in the in the parlor where they were, where he was teaching and giving um, the talk. And then Martha came back to say, ah, Jesus, I was just alone in the kitchen. Mary was not assisting me. I was just there in the, in the other room. That's another room. I was just there in the stuff. Like, uh, Mary is not assisting me. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, see, leave Mary. Mary has chosen the good parts. While in this time, see, Jesus was, it was anti-culture. It was against the, the culture. It was against the cultural norms. Where men would not, why the people of that time, why men of those times would not educate their children. Jesus said, no, Mary has chosen the good parts. It's different. While men will say, like some of those men said in the market match, and like some men in Jewish times will also say, ah, no, it is dangerous to fall fall into the hand of a beautiful woman. You know, you are in grave danger. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that whoever looks at a woman, he has already committed adultery in his heart. He turned it upside down. You see, the, you see, when you lost at all, it is not because of the miniskirts, the gay. It is not just because of the girl's miniskets. It is not just because of the girl's tight trousers. It is also because of the loss that is in the heart of the man. That's what Jesus says. It's different. You see, Tamar um, with Judah. It's not that Jude, Tamar is completely um, clean, you know, having that kind of sleeping with your father-in-law. That's, that's, that's incest. But you know what Judah said when Judah met Tamar? When he discovered, that, ah, the person, because Tamar later revealed her identity to Judah. You know what Judah said? Judah said, wow, wow. So you are more righteous than I. That's what Judah said. He said, you are more righteous than I. So you see, the writer showed us that the sin, yes, the, the sin of Tamar is acknowledged. But Judah's sin, he confessed by himself that he has done a far greater crime than sin. See, there, there are conditions and there are times when systemic injustice is a far greater sin than prostitution, than fornication. Because it is those very patriarchal structures that have allowed some to become so, to become victims. the second thing about god you see jesus comes true he comes true he fulfills promises that's what it shows us you see between the time of malachi and the first book of the new testament in matthew there were 400 years of silence you see when jesus when matthew says he's the son of david when matthew says he's the son of abraham you know when god promised abraham god promised Abraham thousands of years ago see when he promised was coming to pass when he calls him the son of david you know how long ago he promised david hundreds of years before but it's coming to pass. I want you to note something. <clears throat> At the time when Judah, in verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, the world was oblivious. The world did not know that this was Jesus' bloodline. Did you know? Nobody would have known that this, this that you are seeing, this, this ancestral relationship you are seeing, this this, this oppressed affair that you are saying, do you know that Jesus is going to come through this, this bloodline? Nobody would have thought. Nobody would have known. When Obed, or when Boaz was born by Ruth the Moabite for when, when Ruth the Moabite gave birth to when, oh, when Ruth the Moabite gave birth to Obed for Boaz who would have thought that Jesus was going to come through that lineage? And Jesus comes through. You know, my message to whoever is a victim of sexual oppression, of women oppression, or you've lived your life in such a way that you are so sure that women's rights are not human rights, like all of your life, or, you know, people whose life proved that to you. is that Jesus comes true. He may take time. His justice comes true, but it may take time. But his justice does come true. Stay faithful, do like Ruth. She was still kind, even in her, in, in her state. You see what was said of her? You know, Boaz said, please, do your stuff around here. Because if you don't do around here, I've told the guys not to lay hands hand on you. That's the kind of culture she lived in. What did Naomi tell her? Naomi said, hey, make sure you stay in that place where Boaz has kept you. Because if you go elsewhere, men are going to lay their hands on you. Like it was just normal for men to just lay hands on women. And there was nothing that could be done about it. Nobody was doing it about the women. They could lay hands on you. What was that? Stay here so that I can be protected. But Ruth, in that same condition, stay faithful, knowing the oppressive, the violent space that she lived. She was still kind in that time. This is what is expected of us. It is difficult. It is hard. But knowing that Jesus comes through, we ought not to take matters into hand. We ought not to try to fulfill stuff by ourselves, try to make God's promises come to pass by ourselves. It comes true. Jesus says, you see, you can't see what I'm doing. You, you, you can't notice it by looking at now. It's in time that it will tell. See what Abraham tried to do. Abraham, a picture of an impatient man, tried to take God's promises to his hands by going to have an affair with Agar. What did that cost them? Trouble. What did it cost for Jacob? Trouble. The third thing I want us to see is that Jesus is real. Jesus is real. He's got a family. He's got a record. He came through despised women. Jesus is saying, see, this is my CV. Look at my CV. Look at the kind of women on my CV. I'm proud of them. They bring me honor. They bring me delight. Hebrews 2 says, he says I'm not ashamed to call them brethren. I'm not ashamed to call them family. This is what Jesus thinks of women. I want to show you off. I know you by name. So men, how dare you devalue them? See how Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the promised Messiah, thinks highly of them, the most oppressed of them, the sinful, most sinful of them. He thinks so highly of them. How dare you devalue them? How dare you demean them? How dare you dehumanize them? The fourth thing, Jesus saves. I cannot justify some of the sins of the women. I cannot. You can't justify them. And that is why it also does not make sense. When the culture teaches us that the way to deal with women's oppression, see, let women value themselves. You know, just value yourself. Think of yourself as good. Think of yourself as high. Is how you carry yourself. Is how you think of yourself. Or the solution to women's oppression is for men to value women better. That would take us somewhere, but that would not solve the problem. I want you to notice something. There were better women of be, women of more of higher moral standings, the women of greater status, the women who, who had cleaner records in the Bible that could have been included in the genealogy, but they were not. Why did genealogy include Abraham, the father of Isaac, whose mother was Sarah? Why? Or Jacob, the father of of Isaac, the father of Jacob, whose mother was Rebekah? Why not? Or Rachel? You see, Jesus is showing us that your value as a woman is not dependent on your achievements. It's not dependent on your good works. It's not dependent on how much you earn. It's not dependent on whom you marry. It is not dependent on those things. You cannot be the woman you ought to be that way. Jesus was naked and exposed on the cross. Jesus endured public shame and humiliation. Jesus underwent suffering, violence, and isolation, because he couldn't stand to watch you die ashamed. Because he couldn't stand to watch you die in guilt. He died to wash you from your guilt. He died to wash you from your sins. So, before we go on to pile all the blame on the men or to think, start thinking of women as better, you remember that King David was also in the genealogy. The wicked man, the wicked king who did such horrible things, was in the genealogy. And there's also another reason why Uriah's wife was not her father's Bathsheba, but your father was Uriah's wife. It was to show the gravity of the sin that David had committed. Uriah was one of the best friends of David. When David was running away from Saul and he was, you know, he, was he didn't know his way, he was almost like a fugitive. Was this, Uriah was one of the mighty men that gathered together to rescue David from the, from the trouble. And see how David repaid him. He slept with his wife, got her pregnant, and killed him off. Matthew is showing us this. That see, the sins of men... The sins of women, the oppression that men have caused, and the oppressed women, they see all of them, by placing Rahab and placing David side by side, is showing us that he died for both the sins of men and sins of women. No matter how ashamed you feel, or no matter how ashamed and small you've made women feel, men, Jesus came to die for you too. Do you know anyone who thinks that they are too good, they are too rich, they are too moral, they are too kind, they are too, they are too powerful? Too demeaned, too oppressed, too oppressive, that they can't come to me. Jesus is saying, don't ignore my genealogy. I came to be with you. See, if you come, you will become part of my family like Tamar. See, if you come, you will become part of my family like Judah. See, if you come, you will become part of my family like Uriah's wife, like King David. We read of these women today in the genealogy. If we come to Jesus, trusting the value that he places on us, our names also will be written in the book of life. We'll be spoken of forever. There's no achievement, there's no job, there's no promotion you want to receive in this world that will not be forgotten. Years to come, centuries to come. But if you grab the value that Jesus places on you, it's written permanently in the book of life. And this is the final thing I want to say. I want to talk about us. I'm going to say three things that we can do. How should we now respond in manner, in thoughts, and attitude? The final point. The first thing I think we should do from this, from all that we've learned, from what we've seen today, is to prejudge. Prejudge and judge women with grace and fairness. Prejudge and judge women with grace and fairness. Measure them, the standards that you set for them, the standard that we set for them in our companies, in our states, in our governments, with grace and fairness. The second thing is for us to listen to to hear, to read, to look for, to write, to record, to share the stories of women. That is what Matthew did. That's what Jesus did in the genealogy. He, put, he placed their names there. He puts their names there to show that they're human, to show that they're not just objects. You should listen, to, you should seek out the stories. You should hear, you should read, you should look for, record, share the stories of women. It's really those that have been despised. It's really those that have been looked down upon. And the third and final thing. is to use your privilege for women. Use your privilege for them. Injustice is when you have the money, you have the power, you have the connection, you have the the, um, ability and resources more than others, more than some other class, and you fail to use it for their benefits. And it's also injustice when you have that power, that clout, that resources, that opportunity, because of those ones that you've oppressed, you should use your privilege for them. Use your privilege to employ them, to elect them, to appoint them, to promote them, to please them, to add them, to nominate them. Help us, O oh God. Have mercy on our son of David. Have mercy on our son of Abraham. In Jesus, name.
0: Thank you for listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.